the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Whenever people ask me, Josh, where are you from? I always say Pensacola, Florida, but this is not the complete truth. And uh, this is a bit of a confession because many of you over the last year have come and you've had an appointment with me and I've told you I'm from Pensacola and, and I just want to go ahead and confess the whole, the whole truth. The thing is, is that no one's been to the place where I'm actually from and Pensacola is like the closest city. Uh, the town that I grew up in is a little town called Pace, Florida. It's not even a town. Uh, It's a community. It literally says that on the sign when you're driving in. And when I first lived there, uh, when I was born, uh, it's probably a couple years later. I probably don't remember those first couple of years, but uh, all that I can remember in this place were trees and a Winn-Dixie. There was nothing else. It just was, uh, there were some homes kind of tucked back into the woods, and there was a grocery store, but there, there was not much else. And so, in order to live and to work, uh, we always had to go into Pensacola. Almost every day, we would have to drive into Pensacola. So, to leave Pace, you would have to cross Escambia Bay in order to get into uh, the city. And Escambia Bay is this kind of marshy uh, body of water. And so, there were some, some kind of like land bridges. And then one last uh, kind of a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for? A more of an arced bridge going into into Pensacola. And off in the distance, there was a huge power plant called Gulf Power, or the Chris plant. These huge smokestacks that would come up, and uh, it was always kind of just off in the distance. And uh, I would drive to Pensacola, or I wouldn't drive, I was young, but I would be driven to Pensacola, and my dad in the morning would leave before I ever got up, but my dad worked at the power plant. And so each morning when I would drive to school or wherever it was that we were going, I could always see the presence of my dad just kind of off in the distance. There was never a time where like, I couldn't see his workplace. This, this place was so prominent. It just felt like he was always watching over me no matter what. Now, the way to actually get to Gulf Power, the Chris plant, was more complicated. As the crow flies from Escambia Bay, you could get there very, very quickly. But in order to get there physically, like, unless you had a boat, you would have to drive back through the woods and through a couple of neighborhoods, and finally you would get to this winding road, and it would take you all the way back, and finally you would reach a guard station, and you had to have some sort of pass to get in. And so we didn't go back there very often. Occasionally my mom would take me and my sister, and we would take my dad lunch or breakfast or something like that depending on what shift that he was working. My dad was a heavy equipments operator at the power company. But on a particular Saturday, my dad had just bought a little bass boat, and he told me he was going to take us fishing out at his workplace. So I gotta set the scene here a little bit more. You drive down through the neighborhoods, you get through this windy road, you come to the gate where the 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 security guard is, they let you in, and then there are just all of these really big buildings. Just everything looks massive, especially to how old I was. I was probably seven or eight at the time. You drive all the way back, and there was this large, just square, plain building, just concrete, looked like a huge circuit city, but not painted. And we would get to that place, and just beyond this, there was a drop-off that was, had to be 10 feet, probably more like 20 or 25 feet. It had to be very tall, because this is where the tugboats would bring in the coal on the barges. 
and it would be taken off by crane. And I can remember as a little boy walking up to this, what seemed like the end of the earth, and looking off into it and just seeing dark black water. Like I couldn't see anything beyond the surface. It was scary to me. The only reason I was able to walk that close to it is because my dad was close by and I knew that he was going to protect me. And so he brought us down there to the edge of the earth <laughs> and we backed our boat in and, and we got into the boat and we begin to, like I said, this was kind of like marshy land and so we begin to navigate our boat back through these passageways to find the perfect fishing spot. I had to depend on my dad. I, I didn't know anything. I think this might have been the first time I ever went fishing. And we drove back to the perfect place and we put our anchor down. And my dad got up. He had been driving the boat. And all morning I had been asking my dad questions. Really, like just for this day alone, my dad should have been given sainthood. I just question after question. What does this do? What is this for? Why is that over there? But my dad gets up and he goes to the back of the boat and I noticed that by the steering wheel where he just left, there is a long black cord. And on the end of this black cord is an orange plastic whistle. And my young imagination was just like, why in the world do we need a whistle out here? So I said, Dad, I got one more question. I know I've been asking a lot. But, but what is that whistle for? He said, oh, that's actually a good question, Josh. That's, that's an emergency whistle. And so if something happens on the water and we get in trouble and we need some help, we can blow that whistle and somebody will come and they'll help us. I said, that's great news. <laughs> I've been really worried about this. Yeah, that, I love this idea that we have this emergency whistle. Someone will come and save us. And so I quickly forgot about that. My dad began to teach us how to put uh, an, an actual worm uh, on a hook and my sister and I were, were quick learners and uh, we began to fish and this is where the story gets a little bit hazy for me because I don't remember what exactly happened next. I just remember that I had stepped to the front of the boat and I began to cast my line and all of a sudden the whole world kind of went silent. My vision got blurry, everything slowed down, I couldn't hear anything around me. All I know is that I'm experiencing intense pain. And I look down, and there's a fishing hook, and it's all the way through my hand. And I don't know what to do. And so I begin to, to scream. <laughs> and the only thing that I could muster to say was, Dad, blow the whistle! Blow the whistle! I needed somebody to come and to help me. I was in dire straits, and I was afraid that I was going to die. And to tell you the truth, I might have if my dad wouldn't have been there. Because I would have tried to rip that thing out of my hand. But I remember my dad sitting me down and calming me down, and taking a pair of pliers and cutting off the end of the hook so that it could pull back through my hand without literally like ripping my flesh apart. And I think about this story every single time I read this gospel passage because it's the closest thing, the closest reference point that I have to like true danger on the high seas. But my dad entered the midst of my storm and he spoke peace and health and safety and salvation into a moment where I could not help myself. I was in dire straits without my dad. And so when I think about this particular passage, 
I often wonder if we're too difficult on the disciples. Because so often when we hear this passage preached or taught or, 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 or written on, there is some sort of like, oh, well, the disciples don't have any faith. Look at them. Look at how afraid they are. Jesus is sleeping. Obviously, this isn't a bad storm. These were not eight-year-old boys. These were grown men, most of which who were professional fishermen. They had seen bad weather on the sea before, but here, this was a moment where they were afraid. This was a serious moment where their lives were threatened, and fear was the appropriate response. And so the first thing that I want to say to you today is sometimes life does get messy enough where it is okay for you to be afraid. If anyone is telling you not to experience fear, run, run away from that person. Fear them. <laughs> because sometimes fear is the appropriate response. And what I love about what Jesus does is he doesn't rebuke his disciples, but he rebukes the storm. And much like my dad, I imagine him saying, why are you afraid? Not as, why are you afraid? But literally kneeling down to them and saying, tell me what happened. Let me help you. Let me speak peace into the midst of this storm that is happening in your life right now and that without help, there will be catastrophic effects. I think the other thing that I have trouble with in this passage is that so often I hear, I hear it preached as only a message of personal comfort and personal salvation. This is what Jesus can do for you when you are experiencing a storm in your life, but so rarely is it ever a call to action for us. Because who is the body of Christ? It's us. And the storm is all around us. And I think the lesson here is that we're supposed to be paying attention to when other people are crying out for help when they're suffering in their life. We're supposed to be listening to it and not telling them, well, why don't you have more faith? This wouldn't be happening to you if only you had more faith. But we're supposed to enter into the fray of their life and to speak peace because this is part of our calling to be the people and the body of Christ in the world. And perhaps even more amazing... I've heard this passage, I've read it a hundred, if not hundreds of times, but this time a line popped up. I'm going to read the first part again. When evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And this is the part I want you to pay attention to. Other boats were with him. We don't know any other details. We don't know if these people on these other boats were experiencing the same storm, but you have to imagine that they probably were. And so when Jesus hears the plight and the crying out of his disciples, and when he speaks peace into their own life, there is a ripple effect, a benefit, a positive action that happens not only to the people in that boat, but to all of the other people who are on the sea that day. There is a huge impact in this peace speaking. Which leads me to believe that personal comfort, personal safety, and personal salvation is never a possession for us to own, but it is always a gift for us to share with those who are around us. It's never just a, okay, I'm good. I hope you can take care of yourself. And so the question I want to ask you today is, 
What is God doing in the midst of our church? And how might it impact our community? How is God bringing salvation to reconciliation? And how can we share it with the people just outside of these four walls? Amen.